Hello, and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We're so excited to have you with us. Make sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you and enjoy the service. All right, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. If you, uh, I believe there are more handouts, but if you got, didn't get a handout and you'd like one, you just wave your hand. Those ushers are great on the spot. If you have, you do not have a handout and you'd like one, they are, they are moving right from the back to the front. Uh, you don't have to have that handout. Last night, uh, I had this incredible story of Christmas and teaching it to you the way it, 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 it was. And uh, last night, at about uh, five in the, eight in the evening, like I felt like the Lord shifting what I wanted to share and feels like, just talk about this. So I'm gonna hold off on that. Many of you have been here in the church for a, for a while. You, you've heard this story, but let me just give it to you very quickly. This right here is what we think of in a barn. And the reason that Jesus has this image of Jesus being born in a barn is because in the Middle Ages, uh, most of the people had not been to the Middle East. And so when they read the story of Jesus, they thought that he was born in a barn, but he wasn't. The room where it says there was no room for them in the inn is actually the second story of a Jewish home. And because there was no space, because it was a big family event, they had to go into the lower section of the house. And when they were in there, in your lower section of the home, there's a lot more room, but there also would be an animal that was wounded or was being prepared for sacrifice, and that animal would be in there, and guess what was inside every Jewish home back then? A manger. And so what really you see in the story of Joseph is Joseph is from Bethlehem, and he goes and he's betrothed to Mary, and we talked about this being a year-long process. And he went and he found out that she was pregnant. He was going to divorce her quietly. And the Holy Spirit said, don't you dare do this. This plan only works unless you take Mary as your wife. And so what does he do? He does the, he does the second part of marriage in Judaism, which is called the homecoming. You take your bride now and you bring her into your home so that Every single time you read that Jesus was the son of Joseph, or so it was presumed, it was because he took Mary into his home and the pregnancy didn't show enough for people to think that it was anything but Joseph's child. I just think that that's an incredible story because Jesus was not born in a barn. He was born in a home surrounded by love. You might be saying right now, well, how is that? I just don't get this. And uh, I, I'll, in fact, I will email anybody that doesn't uh, get this in an email blast. We'll send it all out in all the verses. But if I were to go to the Holiday Inn, I would not call it what they call the room. It's actually like you calling your master bedroom the Holiday Inn. It doesn't make sense. It's a bedroom. And so Jesus, Joseph, right? Joseph brings Mary to Bethlehem because of a census. How many of you love the fact that the 85,000 IRS agents may or may not make it to the job? 
Well, the census that was being given, it wasn't, it wasn't anything more than Rome trying to tax everybody. And what do you pay taxes on in New Hampshire more than anything else if you live there? Housing tax. That's why the census was happening. In fact, it says that they were taking account of what was going on of all the people's stuff. And when Joseph takes Jesus to Egypt, out of a warning from the angel, and he goes to come back into the land, you're gonna hear as I read, and I just make this as a reference, that he was about to go back into Judea. Why was he going to Judea? Was he gonna get another hotel? No, he was going back to where his family home was. But it says instead, he withdrew, and he went up to Nazareth, and this is why he's called the Nazarene. That's the Christmas story. The Christmas story is, is that Jesus was not born in a barn. He was born in a home surrounded by love, which makes Joseph the greatest protector, provider, defender, and in this case, as we'll read today, pro obedient prophet of God with the most humble attitude because he never stands for applause. So much so that he's almost forgotten in the Protestant church. So with Matthew chapter two, I'm gonna read a lengthy passage, the chapter, 23 verses, and focus on something here. Lord, I just ask that you would, in being obedient to what I asked, you've asked me to share, I just pray that you would speak very powerfully to honor Joseph as an example of what a man of God is all about. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we go, chapter two, verse one. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star, and it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And he assembled all the chief priests, scribes, and people, and inquired of them where the Christ might be born. They told him, in Bethlehem, Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land, and the prophet is Micah, you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. It's so interesting that the ruler, the Messiah, is not described as a king or a conqueror. He's described as a pastor, a shepherd. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them the time that the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. Do you think he wants to worship the baby? No, he doesn't want to worship the baby. He wants to kill the baby. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen rose and went from them, and it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced and exceedingly with great joy. There goes that word you just said. is like laughter and happiness, joy. They had joy, and going to this house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Notice that. They're warned in a dream. Notice that the first moment when Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant and he's about to dismiss her, he is 
spoken to by God in a dream. Now God is speaking to the wise men in a dream, not to go back to Herod, but to go another way. Verse 13. Now when they had departed, and behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. For he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I call my son. Then Herod when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who are two years old or under, according to the time that they had ascertained from the wise men. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in, guess what? A dream. To Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Notice he's going back to Israel. Where is he going back in Israel? But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, the one who just died, he was afraid to go there, and he should be. The guy was an animal. And being, listen to this, here it is, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in the city called Nazareth. Wait a second, I thought he lived in Nazareth. Well, if he lived in Bethlehem, and he's returning from Egypt, the reason he withdraws is because he's going back to his home there. And he says, let's make a life near Mary's home. And so that was what was spoken through the prophets that might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Father, bless your word. Speak to us not only in this moment, but throughout this week, this month, this year, how to be a Joseph in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you look at Matthew, he's writing to Jewish people. That's his target audience. If you grew up in the church, and you grew up, how many of you grew up in a Pentecostal church? Just wave your hand real quick, right? Now, if all of a sudden, I can totally, I can flip the switch. I can totally do it. Let me tell you something. This holiday season, the Lord, the Lord is in this place. Somebody say amen. I know how to turn that switch on and flick it up, but it's just not necessarily natural to me. But when we talk about Pentecostal, we talk about the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Where your guard drops, your hands raise, and your tears fall. That's what we mean when we say Pentecostal. And, and one of the things that we've made the mistake is to think that it is just the Spirit-filled Pentecostal church that has the right to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit and God saying in the last days, I'll pour out my Spirit on all men. My, your young, your, I, I can't even quote it. David, help me out. Throw me a bone. Is it the young men shall see visions and the old men will dream dreams, right? 
and he'll pour out his spirit on all flesh, male, female, old, young. God is going to speak, and Joseph is such an incredible, powerful, can I just say Pentecostal for the sake of my rooted heritage? Powerful Pentecostal, or for the sake of those of you that grew up in the Catholic Church or in a mainlined Protestant denomination, he is a spirit-sensitive, Holy Spirit, walking man of God. God is talking to this man so specifically and so powerfully. Can I tell you something? God is probably speaking to you very specifically and very loudly, and he's trying to get your attention for you to be part of a purpose that God has for his kingdom, and he wants to use your life. The problem might not be God speaking. The problem might be your hearing. Just, there's a Pentecostal moment right there. Let's do it. The problem might be my hearing. My father's hearing is horrible. I, I, I have to. Tr I go with him to meetings, and I have to. Tr I, I realized, Dad, I am no longer your translator. I am your representative. Because if I have to translate everything, we're there for like 45 minutes where we could be done in four. Right? So I told my dad, I said, I'm not here to take your side. I'm here to take over for you. And so I'll just let you know. And, and then every once in a while, I'll go, well, and I'll be like, you know, I can't hear so well. And, and I, we have the, the, the test. And unfortunately, I have my father's ears. Part of it is, is that we weren't born with the capacity to hear certain sounds because the hair that covered that tone and pitch were there. But then what happens with hearing, and there's some of you in here that this is your story, the, the, the hairs kind of just fall over and you lose the ability to hear anything. Not Joseph. Joseph is like, he can hear the whisper of God. And we talked about Joseph, that he's no ordinary man, that like Shimon the righteous, the, the, the Jewish rabbi, Joseph is of that group and that guild of a godly man that took Jesus' raising seriously, that he taught his son the trade of a carpenter, and he taught his son the Torah, the word of God, that he was a godly man, and he, the, most of the things that we look at in Jesus' life, if we really believe that he became fully man, we have to understand that he didn't walk out of the womb speaking 50 languages, but that Joseph poured into Jesus' life, and that many of the incredible moments and teachings and anointings of Jesus's life are not only attributed to God as his father and him as God incarnate, but also a godly man who poured everything he had into Jesus. We can identify with the divinity of God, but when it comes to the humanity, this is where us as spirit-filled people, like we don't want to mess with Jesus and his human, let, let me say it to you this way, Jesus is not going to raise your children for you. So it's more that we should be more like Joseph and say, the, can I just say this too, as much as I, we talked and prayed about finding a children's pastor, the children's pastor is not going to raise your children for you either. See, we'll have them for three to nine hours a week at most. You have them for 900. This is where when anyone ever comes to me and complains about children's ministry or whatever, my kid's just not learning the word of God or whatever, I'll be like, what are you doing with the other 900 hours? That's not my fault. That's like your fault. 
Even God has problems with his kids. But Joseph, oh my, the Lord speaks to him in a dream. Look at this. If you look at the handout or you post that online or maybe you just want to listen, you can totally do that. It, in Matthew, when he is about to divorce Mary, it says that he had a dream and the Greek word's there for those of you that love Greek. But the angel tells Joseph not to fear taking Mary as his wife. God's in this. Then he has another dream, right? This time the wise men are warned, as we read, not to go back to Herod. Herod was probably the most sadistic and brilliant individual that lived in the ancient world. He was two of the ancient wonders of the world were built by him, the Port of Caesarea and the temple, and yet... Uh, he is almost like a Joseph Stalin and an Adolf Hitler in that he murdered people left and right to secure his position and his power, and he somehow managed to make these men think that he was a guy that really wanted to find the baby, and God had to go out of his way to tell wise men not to go back to him. Think about that. These men are wise men. The, these are educated men. These are learned men, but they were so deceived by Herod that God had to give them a dream not to go back. Have you ever been deceived by somebody and you were like, I thought like, uh, it's, it's a dangerous thing to walk around and be like, you can't fool me. You know, we do this to our kids, right? I know, I was young once too. It's always worse than you think, right? Uh, but God is always better than, than we could ever do. And, and so Joseph Joseph now gets another dream, and the angel's seeking to kill the baby. And so he leaves. And then the angel appears to him in Egypt and says, return, because the one that was seeking the baby's life, you can go back. And so he goes back and into the region of Judea. That's where Bethlehem is. Why are they going back there if they were just there to stay in a hotel? It makes no sense. Why would he be afraid to go back there? You see, it says that he all of a sudden realized who the ruler was. They had presidents they cared for and didn't either, but to have a dictator that's a murderer that's willing to wipe out an entire village of children? Like, that's pretty, that's twisted. This is a twisted man. In fact, if you go to Israel to the Church of the Nativity, in that place, the, the Orthodox Church has a whole bunch of baby bones that they claim are the children of that. I don't think it is. I think that people through the years found, found it and gathered it together, but maybe it is. I don't know. But I do know that we're reading history here. This isn't a make-believe story. And this man is so brutally kills children to make sure that he wipes out even the possibility. He sets an age bracket, from, and he does the math, and he says, well, from zero to two, kill them all. And just without hesitation, just kills them. But God warns them in a dream. And then God says to Joseph, go up into the land of Nazareth. And there's a little passage in there about the son that was ruling. He says he was afraid to go back because of Archelaus. This guy was so messed up and so brutal and so twisted and so sadistic that the Roman emperor himself, as it's put there in the paper for you to read later, he exiles him. That's how twisted the guy is. So he's like, I know what it was like when you warned me. I don't know if I'll be smart enough to protect this baby. My responsibility, think of this. Each step of the way here, Joseph was saying, my responsibility is this child. To protect the promise of God. 
to protect the purpose of God. He knew, he knew what he was raising. He knew he was the one to protect the mother and the child, and he dedicated his life. My goodness, if the world just tried to be 50% more the father that Joseph was, there would never be an insecure man. Men need men. Men need men in their life that say, it's okay, it's all right, you can do this, be brave, don't be afraid to make a mistake, take a risk. I love you faults and all. Men need men. And Joseph said, I'm gonna be the best protector and defender of this child. And God kept speaking to him in dream after dream after dream what to do each step of the way. And dreams are in the Bible. And just to, just to talk a little bit about Joseph, really what we're seeing here is, is there's a, if you were to kind of say, what is Joseph? Like, like what's, his, what's, what's the work that God's doing through his life? Do you, in the Bible, when you look at other people who have dreams, you know what normally is connected to them is the title of a prophet. There is a prophetic gifting on Joseph that he has an ability to hear very clearly what God is saying, to obey instantly and completely what God is wanting and is de dedicated totally to what God is doing. Now, he was not turning to the nation with oracles, but his was very much, get up, go here, do this, do that, because God had a plan. Can it, please, I, you just, God, you are not an accident. You are not just called to a vocation. You know what the calling of God is? This is a mistake we've made. We, I could say, God called me to pastor uh, this church here. And then when, if God calls me to do something else, or God has called me to be a faculty member at a Bible college, and then when the next thing comes up, I have a crisis in my life. No, I am called to Jesus. You are called to Jesus. You are called to the purposes of God. And while you are called to him, Jesus had said he went and he prayed and he called to himself 12 who would be the disciples. You are called to him, not to a thing or a place or a, that's called an assignment. God calls every single one of us and he says, I want you to be a part of my plan, my purpose, my calling, my anointing. And he invites you and me to clear out our ears, get some hearing assistance if we need, to, 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 to rough up our knees, to talk to God, to, to read through the manual, to begin to listen to God so that we can say, I don't know what you're trying to do in this world, but if there's some way, somehow, someplace where you've placed me that I can help your plan be fulfilled, I'll do it. Amen. And that's what Joseph was, right? He's a carpenter. 
And he's, he's more than a carpenter. He's like a stonemason. He's a gifted, gilded expert. And then at the same time, he is a respected, pious, holy man of God. And he's a decent guy. He's not trying to shame Mary. My goodness, if we were just 50% like Joseph, what the world would be like if we turned and stopped shaming women and stopped blaming men and women and we started being men. You know what men do? They take responsibility. They don't give excuses and they don't pass the blame. That's what men do. And Joseph was all man. If we could just be 50% the man that he was. I would say, this is my responsibility. I will protect. I will provide. I will parent. And to help him along the way, God put this prophetic anointing of dreams. Joseph had dreams. Joseph in the book of Genesis, chapter 37 to 50. If you're not reading something in the Bible, great story to to read. Joseph has a dream when he's a kid, and God shows him that his family are like stalks of wheat, and he's in the middle, and his brothers fall over, and he wakes up and he says, let me tell you this dream God gave me. You're all going to bow down to me. Be careful not to share your dream with everybody because, and I'm not talking about your passion and your, your pursuit and your career and your, your inspiration. I'm talking about like a God-given dream. You just be careful not to share that with everybody because uh, not everybody will, you might not be interpreting it right. That was Joseph's problem. He thought it was about him. And so then Joseph in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, like Joseph, the father, the stepfather of Jesus in the New Testament, in the story that that we just read, he he keeps getting these dreams. And when he gets these dreams, he, he has another one where the moons and the stars and the heaven, and his father and mother are now bowing down to him, and that's where his dad steps in and says, excuse me, son, mom and dad are gonna bow down to you? It's getting a little bit. Well, the thing is, is that he thought the dreams were all about him, And so his brothers got so sick of hearing about it because he was interpreting the dream all wrong that they tried to kill him. And when he didn't die from the fall into that cistern, Mimi, remember that cistern that we saw? Remember somebody being dropped in that? The Bible says that there was no water in it. Imagine someone dropping you, four story. It it was about that, there's a a cistern like that Joseph was throwing and it's about as high as this building is. They dropped him in there to his death. But that didn't kill him. And so what do they do? They put him in a slave train and he goes down and he's sold as a slave in Egypt and he keeps having dream after dream after dream and then finally he dreams and then what happens, his reward is is that he goes from being the servant because he he gave excellence to everything he did. He becomes the servant of Potiphar's house who was like the special force commander of Pharaoh and instead of him being rewarded for it, a woman lies about him, he's thrown in jail and he rots in a prison. And he's saying, what about my dreams? And while he's in that prison, he begins to interpret dreams for other people. Now here's the interesting thing. In Egypt, there's literally a book of dreams. I've read it as part of my studies. It's boring, don't bother. But when, when Pharaoh has this dream and he can't interpret it and he goes to the, to the magicians, in this case, you know, and he says, help me understand this dream and they can't interpret it, what the problem was is that there's no understanding of his dream in the book of dreams. If you had a dream and you 
you wanted to know what it meant, they would go into the book of dreams and they would come back and they'd say, oh yeah, this symbol means that and this means that. And there's all kinds of people telling you that they can tell you God's best for your life and all. Nobody can keep you from God's best for your life except you, by the way. But, uh, but only God can show you that best that he has for you. And, and, and so they're, they're like, we don't know how to do it. And then somebody says, hey, there's a guy I met in prison. And uh, Pharaoh hears about him and he says, I've heard it said that when you have a dream, you can interpret it. And he says, Pharaoh, understand this. God gives the interpretations to dreams. Look at the humility of this Joseph. He started out thinking that everyone was gonna serve him, and now he's come to learn that even the gifts that he has are not his own, they come from God. If we could be 50% like this Joseph with our humility, the things God could do through us. And then finally, you have the same you know, you have the same idea in Daniel. Daniel, the same thing happens, and it's all in there for you to read at a later time. But God is, the Spirit of God is about uniquely speaking to us, sometimes in a dream. But I think it's important for us to understand that there, there are some reasons that dreams are not spiritual. As I, as I talk to you about this, and I'm, what am I talking about? I'm talking about the text of, the, of it, it literally four, four or five times in the story of one chapter, 23 verses, 25 verses, the idea of a dream comes up again and again and again. So it's an important thing, especially that, that God went out of his way to speak to him in this dream. And so while I talk about that, I also know that an antenna, some of us have antennas for this kind of stuff, and we can get a little weird, and we can get a little wacky. And so, speaking to that, I just want to talk to you about a couple of things. First of all, it says in Ecclesiastes 5.3 that a dream comes when there are many cares. Have you ever had that time when you were stressful, and then you go to sleep, and I don't know why it always happens like this, but two particular dreams happen, you lose your teeth, or you show up someplace naked? How many of you have had a dream like that? Just go like this real quick, so I'm not crazy. Right? All over the place. Now, psychologists tell us that that's a way of us feeling unprepared and out of control. And I can just tell you right now, when you're stressed and you don't have control of your situation and you're worrying, that's a really major driving force for spiritual, you know, for dreams that seem so real. It's your brain trying to grip and grapple and it wants to get rid of this stuff, but it doesn't know how, so it just gives you a really bad ride in your mind, and, and then you're just like, ooh, thank goodness that wasn't real. Let me get back to life and move on. So sometimes you have a dream. It doesn't mean it's a spiritual thing or it's a, it's a, it's, it's a word from God or whatever, but it just cares. Then there's the other one that really concerns me as a pastor is, is the uncommitted life of a follower of Christ who looks for answers in the wrong places. Listen to this verse that comes out of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 13, 1 through 4. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams or appears to you and announces a sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder spoken takes place, hear this, somebody prophesies and then what they speak about actually happens. And it takes place, and the prophet says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord, listen to this, this is, why is this happening? Why do we find ourselves in these weird situations? Why is it that the fortune cookie always nails it on the head except for the magic lucky numbers with the lottery? 
<laughs> Why is it that some people can actually have some incredible insight, foresight, spirituality to it? And we begin to turn in those directions. You know, I wish I had permission to take a taser and go to every church where there is just somebody who is wearing the title of man of God and shepherd, but is just totally off track, and I could just tase them. Wouldn't that be a fun job? <laughs> They're just in the middle of doing a, a, a broadcast, you know, and just, <laughs> I don't know. It's not my job to take care of them, it's God's, but it is my job to take care of you. Let me tell you how we find ourselves in these stupid little places. It's because it says, the Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow and him alone you must revere. Why are you looking for answers between the Lord and somewhere else? I'll tell you what, it's a test from God. It's actually not a good thing that you find that, I, I just want to hear from God, but, but I'm a Libra. I just want to hear from God, and I, you know, but let me just see that palm reading and that tarot card. Or there are people that say, this is going to be, I'm going to revolutionize your life, you're going to be a millionaire in 10 years, and you know, all this different kind of stuff. And it's like, it, why don't we start looking to the one who has all the days of our life written in his book before one of them come to be? Why don't we stop looking in the wrong direction? Because actually, that is an indication that God is testing you to say, I just don't. It actually might be a statement about your spirituality that God's like, I don't know if they're for real. I don't know if they're for real. I'd, like, yeah, you know, we're going to pull out of church and there, there's going to be like a big pile of, you know, you know, tarot cards and Ouija boards and all that stuff. But it, it doesn't look like that necessarily, although that might be where you're, you're going, but... There, there are some very powerful voices that sometimes can make some really forward calls in a life and stuff, but they're not leading you into the direction and to the one who has the plan for your life. Listen, Joseph understood that if he dedicated his life to God, it didn't have to be eventful or special. It was going to one day be rewarded, but not only rewarded, but in this case, the Lord said, oh my goodness, I not only am going to reward this guy when he gets to heaven, I'm going to trust him right now when I send the greatest plan that God ever could bring into this world, the Son of God, I can trust this man. Can God trust you with his plan? Can God trust you with his child? Can God trust you to be able to listen to the right things? Can God trust you like Joseph to be able to not only hear God's voice, but then and to have instant obedience. My goodness. I'm, I'm so, I, I, we were saying this before service, it's like we want our church to be so led by God's spirit. Right now I could have, it's almost like churches have become like Disney. Now don't get me wrong, my long-term plan and, and this, you can help with this financially, um, is, and it's $80,000, but it's worth the investment, is to have a, a screen back here with the cross up there and to be able to have 
uh, not to have to squint to that, but we're able to do this and, and, and to be able to have lighting that's able to do different stuff, to finish the carpet out there, to, to pave the pavement. My goodness, there's more crack out there than the San Andreas Fault. And I would love to be able to do all of these wonderful things. And uh, I have no idea where I was going with that. I'd love to do that. Yeah, here's what I was saying. Thank you, I just caught myself. Attention deficit. Not squirrel, I'll have to do The reason I was saying this to them is this because I'm like, I want us to just be a spirit-led church because it's like churches are popping up all over the country like, and it's like Disney. Do you, do you think I can compete with John MacArthur's preaching? Do you think I can compete with, with uh, Maverick City Church's worship? Can I, can I out-present Stephen Furtick? Maybe in your world you have some kind of thing or person you're comparing yourself with, and to be honest with you, God wants you to just throw it in the trash Amen. and be like these kids that were up here and be like Joseph, where Joseph says, I hear you. My life doesn't exist to bring attention to me. It exists to bring glory to you. Here is your servant. You can trust me. You see, Joseph isn't a righteous man because he gets to raise the Son of God. He was a righteous man, and that's why God chose him to be the greatest stepfather the world has ever known. And I look at Joseph, and I'm like, man, and, and here's where, where the question is for hyper-spirituality. I'm going to just say this straight to you. As a pastor, I've never had that moment where I was in a room and everything disappeared and I saw stuff in front of me like John in Revelation or Ezekiel. Um, but I have had dreams where God has spoken and they were from God. And I was, I've been obedient to the heavenly vision. I've also had commitments to God. And I've come to find that my commitments and my spiritual awareness are in line when I'm not looking at them being all about me, but when, like Joseph, we make it all about protecting the Son of God and the presence and the purpose of God. Do you hear what I'm trying to say through this? Not just talking about dreams, but as a pastor, I'm also concerned that there are hyper, there's hyper-spirituality out there that's puffed up with pride and it's too proud to recognize it and it's disconnected from Christ. Listen to this verse in, chap in Colossians chapter two, verses 18 and 19, whether you're online or in here, listen to this, I'll read it to you. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. In other words, like you've got to fast more, you've got to hurt yourself more, you need to say no to you. Some of us have a problem in that direction and others have a problem in the opposite direction. We say, no. It's about you, boo. It's, you need to spoil yourself, you know? No, it's not about you, and it's not about punishing you or asceticism and worship of angels. There are more Christian ghost stories out there I care to even hear about. Going into detail about, listen, going into detail about visions puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments and grows with its growth that is from God. In other words, he's saying there's people out there that are so spiritual, they're talking about angels and visions and how you should, you should do this and that and you should 
have less of this or more of that. And the truth of the matter is, is that they're spiritually puffed up and they're walking around like God has them on speed dial and he has to be the voice to the world around there. You don't need anyone except Jesus Christ in the center of your life. And if you hear somebody talking about a vision and a dream and a burden, and it is not about Jesus and protecting the plan of Jesus and bringing about the purposes of Jesus and partnering with the Holy Spirit for Jesus, and it's about you or it's about them or it's about the stuff and things, you are definitely in the presence of a prideful, puffed up person who is too proud to notice that they're not even serving the purpose of God. They're self-serving. And I can't control your, I, I wish I could put a filter on every single one of your internet servers for a lot of reasons. But look at to Joseph. He's, he's got this responsibility about protecting the purpose of God. Why is he never talked about? You know, you know why? Because he is so humbly behind the scenes and he did exactly what God did. His story is crunched into a couple of chapters. That was the part of the story he was about. But really, what more do you need to say in that God said this and he did it? God said that and he did it. God said this and he did it. Could I say that about your life? What's your hearing like? Are, what part of the plan does God want to fulfill in your life? And where do you feel pressed and tempted with over-spiritual, dynamic personalities and dynamic plans and all those kind of things that you're missing that God uses ordinary people like us to do extraordinary things, just like those kids up here. If you just took that disposition and said, I don't know what I need. I love that little junior. I loved how your daughter, Ilsa, I loved how your daughter was, uh, Elizabeth was picking up one of them. Uh, I can't even tell. I can't keep track of your kids anymore. But <laughs> just picked them up and just is like, what is she doing? She's bringing her sister to the microphone. Right? Did you see that? Did you see that? And I'm so honored that your, 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 Joe, that your little girl was able to just like take my arms and come off the platform there. Thank you for letting me be a part of their lives. But like, like um, just to, to, to be open and abandoned to God and fulfilling the plan, it's just, we need that spirit about us. We don't need somebody that's saying, look at me, I'm spiritual, God uses me. We need to humble ourselves. And, and that's why, like, these dreams that God has that he wants to bring about to us and through us, as I, I bring this to a close, I want, I want you to hear this. Look at over and over again. Not only do we see the word dream, 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 but Matthew goes out of his way and he writes this. All this was to fulfill what the prophet said. And so was fulfilled. And so was fulfilled. And so was fulfilled. It, this was so that what the prophet said was fulfilled. You can, you can come up, actually, Mary Avon, if you wouldn't. Think, think about this for a second. I don't know anybody in the Bible in a shorter period of verses who heard from God clearer, who had as many dreams, who instantly obeyed them, who made the attention not them, but God's plan, God's purpose, God's presence, and fulfilled more prophecies 
Every single prophecy that was fulfilled wasn't Jesus saying, hello. I don't, I, you know, it's like we picture him speaking all the languages. Bon dia, you know? I don't know, how do you say good morning in Spanish? I should know that. Buenos dias, or Cambodian, or Laotian, or, or, or <laughs> you know, Celtic, and like, we picture Jesus like, yes, I'm here to fulfill this prophecy, I'm here to, no, Jesus was, Jesus was a toddler. He would have been fit in perfect in kids' choir because he became like a human experience, he did that. All of those prophecies, all of those fulfillments, all of those dreams that God wanted somebody to make happen, happened because of Joseph. Do you see him? Do you see him? This is why I've adopted my friend's position. When I get to heaven and after I meet my friends and my family, and he's the first person I want to go up to and say, man, I know Noah saved his family and rebooted humanity. I know the prophets faced challenges, but you? He made it all about him. And because of that, God trusted you with something he trusted no other prophet or patriarch with. He trusted it with the plan to make God be with us, that he would forgive mankind of their sins. Joseph is most likely the most responsible, prophetic, spiritual, and humble human being ever to walk the face of the earth. Do you see him? Do you see him? What part of the plan does God want to fulfill with your life? In what ways can you protect, provide for God's presence in our church, in your home, in your workplace, in our world? What does God want from you? More importantly, what has God been wanting from you? You see, Joseph was already preloaded. That's why God was ready for him to make his moment. But you and I, if I think God showed up for a plan like that, he'd be like, that's why I kept saying you need to get rid of this in your life. That's why I wanted you to be faithful with that in your life. I wonder who the list was that God would have selected but couldn't because they weren't living their life like Joseph and they couldn't do what Joseph did. Imagine if we rewrote the story of Joseph. Imagine if Joseph, instead of putting Mary away quietly, just looked out and said, let me tell you something about this girl. Yeah, she claims that what's in her is from, from God. I think it's from that guy over there. Later. And yet that is what 50% of us out there are like. What if when they came before Jesus with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which was a fortune, Joseph said, well, what's yours is mine and what's mine is mine. And he went out and he got himself a thoroughbred horse. 
and he got himself a couple of villas. And then when the time came to hide in Egypt, they were on meal assistance because their father did not give what was given to him for the purpose that God had to cause the purpose of God to be realized in the world. What if Joseph, when he came back to the land, said, this was too much for me, I can't take it anymore. I need my own life now. Go home, Mary, raise your kid over there. I'll pop in summers. I wonder what the list was like before we found Joseph. Do you see him? Do you see him? Can you hear him? And I don't know about you, but each time in my life, when I admire somebody and I catch a glimpse of greatness in somebody, it really actually just highlights the imperfections in me. It makes me feel like, like that kid that was right over here, that young man, your son that was over here that was struggling to try and get the confidence to go. And I leaned over to Pastor Dylan. He's not here, so we can talk about it. I leaned over to Pastor Dylan. I said, Pastor Dylan, he just needs a man next to him to say, you can do this. And there was, there was never a moment in Jesus' life where there wasn't somebody next to him saying, you can do this. So that when the hour came, when he was all alone and the whole world turned against him, he was able to look up and say, I don't want to do this. Not my will, your will be done. That's what this is all about. Giving God our will. Saying, not my way, your way. Not my plan, your plan. You see, this is where there's so many people running around with visions of ministry and grandeur and all that, and they miss the whole purpose of what it's about. And they're running around and they're busy and, and God's looking at it saying, my goodness, I do not need another Disney church in America. I do not need another missions trip over here. I don't need, the, I, I just want someone to go to serve our city and go down to Lowell. I just want somebody who's got a building down there to give it so that somebody can do something down there and not have to figure out where are we gonna ha be in the cold in winter. We're trying to figure out where we can go in the winter because the, my goodness, I want to be like Jesus, but I want to be like Joseph. And so with that, I want to ask the, as we, this is what we have, the worship team right here. And I'm going to take space in my seat over there in the front row. Maybe you might want to come forward and find a place to kneel. Maybe you're in the place where you are and you're comfortable and you're gonna make an altar of where you're sitting. I don't, I don't care where it is, but I want us just to give God just a few minutes and just to say, Lord, here's my life. I'm not the person I ought to be, but God, I'm not the person I used to be, but I'm not gonna be in the middle anymore. I wanna be a man and woman of God that makes it about you and your will. And I will do and I will go and I will be and I will give, I will whatever you want for me. I will let go of what I need to let go of. Some of you, in order for you to step into that, you gotta step away from that. Or you'll never, you'll never get there. 
So Father, right now in the name of Jesus, across this room, I can't help but admire, can't take my eyes off Joseph. That's because he put all the attention on you. Right now across this room, there are many of us that we have a desire to be like that, but we have a, a, a heaviness in us that we know what we're not. Lord, you're not looking for us to be anything extraordinary or the center of attention. You're looking for us to say, here's my life. Here's my trade. Here's, my, here's me. Lord, I want to fulfill your purposes. I want someone to write and say, God said and I did. I want someone to be able to say, and it was fulfilled. This was to fulfill what the prophet said because I was all about your plan and your purpose and not mine. Lord, we create a garden of Gethsemane here this morning for just a few moments for us to seek your face, for us to crucify our flesh, for us not just to take up our cross, but to take up your presence, that spirit-filled life. Lord, we can't do this without your presence. No human on the face of the earth wants to be selfless. But Lord, I pray that you would squeeze it out of the hearts and lives of those watching online and those in this room as we take time to make an altar with you. In Jesus' name. Across this room, I invite you. Find a spot up here. Find a spot out there. Let's take just a few moments with God.
presence of the Lord is here. The Spirit of God is here. We're here for different, different reasons. There are some of you that have come in here today and you've never crossed the line to say, Lord, my life is yours. Or you cross lines that I'll go to church, but you haven't said, Lord, my will is yours, my life is yours, my body is yours. And God wants to recapture your life and retask it because he wants to fulfill his plan and his purpose in this world for you as you go about your simple life. I wonder if you'd pray this prayer with me across the room. We're going to leave an afterglow here for any of you that want to continue to reflect and speak to God, but I just feel a need to, to lead some of us back. Maybe you need to be born again, again. If you'd pray this prayer with me as we continue here. Lord, here's my life. Say it with me together. Lord, here's my life. Here's my will. Here's my plans. Here are my dreams. They're worthless. If I live my life and do not have you as Lord, I bring you my sins. I ask your forgiveness. I ask for your help. I own my stuff. I own my mistakes. But thank you. Your death on the cross took the punishment for that. And then you were crucified. You were buried. And on the third day, you rose from the dead. And if you can do that, and you can forgive my sins, you can resurrect my life. You can resurrect my faults, my regrets, my poor choices, my selfishness. I want to live for you, not my will. Your will be done. Be Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that, I really would want you so much to let one of us know. And if you're here and you need to pray some more, we're going to continue to leave this room in a gentle, quiet way so that you can do that. Children's ministry is up there saying, Lord, deliver us. If you've got a child, uh, let's do it. Great honor in my life to be your pastor. God bless you, and we will see you next Sunday. Please grab those cards uh, as we have animals in a petting zoo. If ever there was a Sunday to bring people to church, it's next Sunday. God bless you. Thank you again for being with us today. To listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, and go to ne-cc.org for all news, events, and updates.
Thank you and God bless.